Welcome to Soul Restore. My name is Andrew Shea, and I'm the pastor of Branches Huntington Beach. I want to spend some time talking with you about burnout and exhaustion since it has become so prevalent in our culture at present. Maybe you're tuning in because you've gone through a period of loss in your life, or maybe you felt directionless for some time, or maybe the sagging morale in your office is starting to get to you, or the latest headlines in the news have done the same thing. Whatever the reason, we all hit periods where we feel like we've just got nothing left and our souls are depleted. In truth, the best defense against burnout is to not burn out by having healthy habits and disciplines. Now, having said that, one of the constants in life is that we are constantly being challenged to grow as our emotional, spiritual, and physical limits are repeatedly tested by life circumstances. It isn't always avoidable or even necessary to never feel depleted because it's oftentimes in those moments when we are depleted that God moves in our life in unique and formative ways to shape us and expand our capacity for responsibility, stress, and the pressures of life. The question is, how do we cope with adversity and grow into these new capacities when we're exhausted? How do we respond to being depleted with the sort of intention and faith which leads to maturity? Through this resource, I wanna lay out seven things to consider as you evaluate the state of your soul. This list is not all-inclusive, but it is a place to start. Most of what I say will have application for anyone, Christian or not. But the true power to find ultimate restoration for our souls is found in God. So if you aren't walking out of faith in Jesus, I encourage you to use this resource as a jumping-off point to begin that journey. Work through the questions I'm going to pose on the other side of each of these points. Maybe go through this or share your reflections with your roommates, your spouse, or your small group, and share this resource with friends or return to it when you need a reset for your soul. All right, having said all that, let's get into the content. And I want to start somewhere that some might think is a little unlikely for a conversation dealing with the soul. Number one, I want us to consider, I want you to consider your physical health. God made our bodies. We are physical creatures. It's foolish to ignore the care of our bodies. One of the primary ministries Jesus undertook was of healing physical infirmities. And he even took the time to make sure people's bellies were full. Now, God cares about our total well-being, mind, body, heart, and soul, because all these spheres are interconnected in our experience of God and our witness to the world as Christ works through us. Just ask someone with a terminal illness or with chronic pain whether their physical health is affecting their mental, emotional, and ultimately their spiritual health. The answer is obvious. These parts of us are inextricably linked together. Now, to be honest, I know vitamin popping, essential oil lathering, holistic medicine guru, holy yoga expert, but it's no stretch for me as a pastor to at least validate the importance of your physical health. Our feelings of being drained and burned out often come from sustained activity levels that are too high or ones that are simply too low. Consider that we've essentially fashioned the most unbalanced, unpleasant world for us to live in as humans. A life where email, texts, social media, the internet, and various forms of entertainment are constantly activating the activity of our minds, while physically 
We sit in cars to commute, to get to our workplace, to sit at desks, and then we take a break, we go outside, only to go on our phones, to get back in our cars, to get back home, to sit on the couch. The structure of our society is inclined toward mental overwork and physical underwork, or at least an imbalance between the two. You know, for me personally, in my emotional and spiritual health, about 25% of how I'm doing is based on how much regular exercise I'm getting alongside my daily intake of vitamin D, that is sunlight. For you, that number might be higher or lower. I know for me, if I'm not active in some way, my melancholy and negativity can start to gain an increasingly stronger edge on my overall disposition the longer my physical health and needs are out of whack. Natural light, being surrounded with the colors of green and blue, good food, exercise, these are all natural stress relievers that God built into our biology. So let me give you a few questions for reflection. Number one, how important has your physical health been for your emotional and spiritual health? I said, man, it's about 25% of the composition of how I'm feeling, how my mind is doing, how my heart is doing. That number might be higher or lower for you. Try to put a percentage on it. Number two, how can you embrace greater physical health for yourself? Where do you need to explore this realm of health further? You know what that means for you. It doesn't necessarily mean that you've got to run 10 miles a day, but what does it mean for you to lean into this topic of physical health? Does it concern your diet? Does it concern some of the practices of your life? And number three, are there any rhythms and practices that are out of whack in your life at present related to your physical health? Think about these questions. Take a few moments, jot this down in your journal, share this with somebody that you're watching this video with, and then we're going to return to the next point.
with my first point, we talked about engaging our physical health. Now let's address our mental circus in our minds. When we're feeling depleted, it's time to, number two, listen to your mental conversation. Imagine if your mind was in a pleasant, restful state at all times. What if it was completely free of distractions and stressors? How would you feel? What if we had the discipline of mind to think about things only as long as they were constructive and useful before they became irritants and distractions? How would you feel? In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul is beginning to address some false personalities and teachers that have begun to influence the church away from obedience to Christ. And he's about to lay waste to their false approach. And he says this in verse five, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Now that's a mouthful, but let me unravel all that language. What's clear here is that Paul understood that one of the primary spiritual battles that we fight as Christians is not exclusively or even primarily physical, but in the mind. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, he defines the knowledge of God and Christ as the divine power to demolish strongholds. Strongholds of what? Arguments and every pretension that is against God. That is the ideas and thoughts that are at odds with the truth. So he says we're to take captive every thought, every idea, to make it obedient to Christ. Often, what is our stress and trials and suffering and burnout, but a series of thoughts and dialogues in our mind that are at odds with what we know to be true in Christ? You know, we say to ourselves, everything is awful, and it'll always be awful. I'm worthless. I'm all alone. You know, those are arguments and ideas that stand against the gospel and what God says of us in Christ. We've got to take command over the environment of our minds because our minds are a key front in the spiritual battle we fight as believers. Now, if you could characterize the environment of your mind today, what is it like? If you could give a picture for it, is it a funeral procession of dreary, mundane grief? A muddy, wet, cold bog? a briar of thorns? Is it a shooting range? Is your mind a boat that's tossed in a stormy sea? Or is it a pasture, a meadow with a babbling brook, a temple of worship? You know, for much of my 20s, my mind was a 10-car garage with rusted out chassis piled on each other, worked on by unpleasant, begrudging attendants, utilizing these echoing pneumatic wrenches that were buzzing and whining on top of each other. It was a great place to get hard work done and a horrible place to live. If the environment of your mind is not somewhere you'd want to live, then are you surprised that no matter where you go, you're exhausted, uncomfortable, and unhappy? We need some extreme home makeover mind addition. I know that sounds corny, but it's true. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 says this, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, Whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So let me give you a few questions for reflection. Number one, how would you characterize the environment of your mind at present? 
I gave you that picture of a 10-car garage. Try to imagine what the environment of your mind is like on a typical daily basis right now and put some words to it. How would you characterize the environment of your mind? Number two, would you characterize yourself as having the ability to direct the thoughts of your mind or are you directed by them? Are you able to capture your thoughts, as it says in the scriptures, or are you captured by them? That's a very important distinction to realize as a step one. Am I being directed by my thoughts or am I directing them? Am I being captured by them or am I capturing them? And number three, I want you to consider, are there any key falsehoods getting repeated in your mind that need to be expelled by the knowledge of God? Take a few moments, get out that journal, write down the answers or share those with those who are present and then we'll continue on with our content. As we discussed, being depleted often involves the content of our mental conversation, and at times, it's also driven by particular root causes. So when we're depleted, we've got to work to resolve root causes. To begin with, I want to state that I believe burnout is rarely the result of any single root cause. Wouldn't we wish our troubles were like diffusing a bomb in the movies? All we need to do is find the right wire to cut and suddenly we'll be in the clear. We think, oh man, I just need another vacation. I just need to reevaluate my schedule. I just need to eat a little bit healthier. Our problem-solving organ of a brain is often trying to locate that one thing to the exclusion of the multitude of factors that have contributed to the net effect that we're feeling of being exhausted. So I want to suggest almost without exception, when we feel burned out, it's probably a combination of several factors. Even so, 
At times, there may be root causes and core unresolved issues in our life that end up really dominating the bulk of our emotional and spiritual state, which need addressing. The writer of Hebrews, when he's giving his pastoral encouragements, speaks of relational conflict and the disposition of our hearts in organic terms. He says in chapter 12, verse 15, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. We're organic beings taking part in organic, dynamic relationships, and our thoughts and our feelings are likewise organic and living. That means unresolved issues in our mind and heart can grow like weeds when they aren't tended to, dominating more and more space, bearing undesirable fruit, and reproducing death to us and others. I'm referring to things like traumas that we haven't processed, or key relationships that have unresolved conflict, or compounding financial problems like credit issues, or an abusive boss that increasingly dominates our work environment. These are all root issues that can take on a life of their own within us. These sorts of problems, they don't go away on their own. They need resolving or else they grow and influence other spheres of our life. And to resolve them often comes with a great deal of initiative on our part with professional assistance at times from others. It's tough work. It's terrible. There's often a slew of reasons that we haven't tended to those weeds that are growing in our hearts and minds. But when you get that thing by the root, it's gone and it doesn't come back. So let me give you a few questions for reflection. Number one, what are some examples of root issues in your life that you've had to uproot and remove? Number two, are there any weeds growing in your soul at present. Maybe they've developed into a hedge of ugly, undesirable leaves and flowered, or maybe they're just the seeds that could develop into something substantial given some more time if you don't attend to it. In either case, name those root issues and causes in your life right now that are making you feel exhausted and depleted. What are your plans to address them? Do you require the help of someone with expertise some professional help in removing those roots. Consider those questions for a few moments, write down those answers, share them with somebody with you, and then we'll continue on.
everyone, we've considered our physical health, we've listened to our mental conversation, we work to resolve root issues, and now I want to suggest that when we're burned out, we need a number four, dwell in hope. Dwell in hope. The availability and power of hope is one of the most substantial resources that we have as Christians. It sets us apart from the rest of the world because our hard times and challenges, when combined with faith, solidify into enduring hope. Do you know that? I mean, it's a key truth of the scriptures. In Romans chapter 5, Paul identifies hope as a byproduct from adversity for the believer. Just after establishing the baseline hope that all of us receive through our salvation in Christ, he says this in verses 2 to 5, We boast in the hope of the glory of God. That is our salvation that we have in Christ. If you go to Romans 5, you'll see that in context. But he says, not only so, we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Enduring hardship with God always, it always results in growth. That's why being depleted, pushed past our limits, and burned out isn't always a negative reality that we experience. It can be the very context that God uses to change us and equip us with character and hope. When we face difficult times with faithful perseverance, we learn, we trust, we depend, and the more we do that, the more we grow. The more we grow through our trials, the more track record we have with God, the more we see his faithfulness as we look back, and the more resilient we become for the future. When we encounter difficulties again, we begin to anticipate the growth we know will be ours on the leading edge of those experiences. So we don't sink or shrink back. We meet the moments in front of us. We rise. We believe in the good God will bring even when all is not good. Essentially, our growing character produces hope as a natural reflex in us when bad things happen. Think of adversity sort of like ice pack for the believer. When it rains, the ice pack builds in the mountains. And when that ice pack eventually melts, it fills the reservoirs we pull from daily for our sustenance. When hardship reigns in our lives, it often pours but it's building a spiritual ice pack, which will become for us a reservoir of character and hope by faith. So look back and see what God has done, sometimes most of all in the difficult places of your life. Take hope that just as your days of strength came to an end, so too will your days of feeling depleted and your strength will return to you. Will you walk that journey in between with God and do more than just get through but grow in character and in your hope reservoir by faith. So let me give you a few questions for reflection. What do you think it means to persevere by faith in the midst of trials? Number two, how have you seen God use times of hardship and adversity to grow your character? Look back, look back at that ice pack of hardship that's melted into that reservoir of character and hope. How have you seen God use those times of hardship and adversity to grow your character? Number three, has hope become your emotional reflex in times of challenge 
or are you more inclined toward negativity and catastrophizing? Think about that. And what does that say? What does your instinctual response to suffering say about where your character and maturity stands today? How might God want to grow you in this area? He wants our natural reflex to be hope when the bad things happen on the leading edge because we've seen his track record in the past. If that's not where you're at, you don't need to shame yourself or beat yourself up, but be honest. How might God want to grow you in the experiences that you're having today? Think about that for a few moments. Write the answers in your journal. Share that with someone else, and then we'll continue on. So we're to dwell in hope, but not just by listening to our own uplifting thoughts led by God, led by the Holy Spirit, but by listening to others. When we're burned out, I want to invite you to number five, consult encouragers. You know, the idea that we're self-made rugged individualists is not only unhealthy, but it's also preposterous. Nobody is self-made. We are absolutely formed by our core relationships we formed in our upbringing, by the people presently around us, and the society in which we live for good and for bad. God made us. He fashioned us to depend on himself and on others. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. We don't grow as Christians unless we grow together as parts of this body. So look, It's one thing to try to handle burnout alone, and it's quite another to go to God. And by the way, going to God always includes going to others because God has gifted others by his Holy Spirit to be your encourager and your supporter. Find people who are motivators, who are hope healers. They are those who can find the good in the bad, even when it's as obscure as a needle in a haystack. 
There are people in this world that are willing to come through that haystack for that needle of hope alongside you. And guess what? They'll find it. God bless those people. Especially so because there's so many unhealthy personalities today that seem to be able to find that one drop of wrong even when there's a sea of amazing right things that are happening. So encouragers, we need you. Speak up, says Romans chapter 12, verse eight. Be heard, use your gifts. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter four, verses 10 to 11, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. The church is a body of diverse parts. We need all of them. We need the realists and the administrators to help ground us all and help us get the work done. You know, we need the leaders to point the way, but when we need our hearts filled up with the energy to do the work, where do we go? To encouragers. And they speak the words of God to us by the Holy Spirit. Go to them. Listen to them. Don't discount them. Receive what they say in your heart and in your soul. So let me give you a few questions for reflection. Number one, do you have any encouragers in your life? People who help motivate you and speak to you in ways that edify you. Have you made ample time and space for them? Do you let their words stand or dismiss them? And number two, do you have any discouragers in your life? People who aren't constructive, but destructive, who place needless obstacles in front of you. How can you address those relationships, their priority, and possibly even redeem them? These are big questions I'm asking. So I want you to take some time in reflection and prayer, write down your answers, and of course, share them with someone who's with you or after this fact.
We've gone a lot of places in considering how we address our depleted souls, but the next one is intended to widen your view. I want to invite you, when you're exhausted, expand your horizon. You ever been in an argument with someone and then an hour later you're like, what were we even fighting about? The world shrunk down to the size of that conflict and then when you step back, the burn was taken out of it and it became so insignificant you couldn't even recall what you were arguing about. The same is true often when we think about periods of time in our life that were particularly stressful. The more the time passes, the less of a sting there is in our recollection. That's because exhaustion, stress, trials, conflict, crisis, these all shrink our vision and perspective. They make us like primitive animals, perceiving and responding to our threats, attacking them, or playing dead to avoid them. We need to expand our horizon when the world gets shrunk down to the size of our challenges and obstacles and depletion. In the books like Job and Habakkuk, God took the radical, I mean, absolutely unfathomable suffering of these prophets and didn't dismiss it, nor did he explain it all away, but he did expand their view and widen their horizon on life. Just listen to their words on the other side of hearing from God. After hearing from God and his challenges, Job says to God, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. And after hearing God's responses to his feelings of injustice, Habakkuk says this, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Again, God didn't dismiss their suffering, but he expanded their view and that led to worship and that worship led to peace and faith even in the midst of the worst that the world could throw at them. Our suffering and exhaustion can place us in what feels like an emotional or spiritual hedge maze, but God can pull us up above it to show us the way forward, our next steps in faith and in peace. This world is big, but heaven's bigger. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. If you take a wide enough view on life, you find that all roads lead to heaven. All roads lead to the fullness of God's kingdom, even those that feel like detours and descents. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind can conceive those are the things that God has prepared for those who love him. So break yourself out of a habit of dwelling in your depletion and burnout. Go somewhere big. Do something new. See the expanse of God, the grander view beyond your present circumstances. Let me invite you to consider a few of these questions. Number one, what are the places you go to that help expand your horizon that help connect you to the grandness of God. Have you spent any time there recently? And number two, have you been in the single most horizon expanding resource you have available to you? That is the scriptures. 
Have your times in the word been formative at present? Consider these questions in prayer. Write down the answers, of course. Share them with someone that you're with, and then we'll continue on. Again, as we're closing out here, we've talked about our physical health, our mental conversation. I've challenged you to resolve root causes, to dwell in hope, consult encouragers, and to expand your horizon. Now, I want to finish with inviting you, when your soul is depleted, when you're burned out or exhausted, to pray. It seems like an obvious step, but it isn't necessarily for everyone. Have you talked to God about your exhaustion? Have you told Him how you feel? Have you prayed about what you're going through and with persistence? I think we take it for granted as Christians. I know I take it for granted as a pastor when people come to me. I assume that they've prayed. But sometimes when we're going through something difficult and we've changed our diet, we've exercised, we've gone on a vacation, we've gone and spoken to a therapist, we told 10 of our friends, and the only thing that we haven't done is the first thing we should have done, which is to pray. Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Instead of turning it over in your head, in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, with the acknowledgement of hope, present your requests to God. This response isn't last because it falls last in the hierarchy of the things that I've shared with you, but because it's the last thing I want to leave you with. Pray, and pray alongside all the other encouragements I gave you. So let me give you a few questions for reflection. Number one, have you prayed about the things that irritate and drain your soul? If you haven't, why haven't you? What's standing in the way? If you have, 
How have you seen God use those times in prayer to restore your soul? And number two, how can you make more space for prayer in your life? Not just for the times that you're depleted, but at all times. How can you build prayer into your daily life? Consider those questions for a few moments and then we're gonna return and we're gonna close out our time together. Thank you for tuning into Soul Restore. This isn't the end of this conversation. This is the beginning. The state of your soul matters to God and it matters to us at Branches Huntington Beach. Now, I hope and pray this has been a great resource for you to get started on a path toward the restoration of your soul. Remember, it isn't wrong to be in a place like the one that you're in. It's what you do with it. And ultimately, it's God's plans and purposes in the midst of all of it that will make sure this period of time isn't wasted for you, but actually it's used to form you and grow you and mature you in ways that you will experience long after this period of difficulty has ended. If you need recommendations for counseling or anything else at all, please reach out to us. And remember to share this resource if it's been helpful for you or return to it when you require it again. The Lord be with you and encourage you at all times. God bless you.